this evening we'll probably be spending most of our time in Romans and chapters 12 and 13, most of our time there, but we will be moving around a little bit and chapters 12 and 13 of Romans. Um, basically the the title, if it's necessary to give a title to uh, uh, what I've, the thoughts that I've had uh, during the week and uh, would like to share with you tonight, the title is um, Translating Learning into Living or Doctrine into Duty as one of the commentators put it, Doctrine into Duty, Learning into Living. Sometimes it doesn't translate very well for, well for all of us. Sometimes the things we learn don't translate all that well into living. Sometimes we're guilty of making the same mistakes on more than one occasion. Praise God, we have God's word as our guide, our handbook, our survival manual for living. And Paul in Romans chapter 12 is speaking here to, uh, to saved people, to faithful people, and instructing them in translating learning into living. Notice in uh, chapter 12 and verse 1 where he addresses the brethren, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I beseech you, therefore, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, That uh, those wonderful two memory verses that we've spent time looking at so many on so many occasions before here in this church, translating learning into living. The Apostle Paul then in verse 3 moves on to say that we need to have as a as a fellowship, as a as a group of believers, as a part of the body of Christ, that we should have an honest evaluation of just what is our relationship with our Lord and Saviour, an honest evaluation. And uh, sometimes it's good for us that we have a br pretty brutal evaluation of our relationship with our Lord and Saviour to try to think clearly about what the Lord requires from us as a, as a part of his body, fitly framed together with other members in a fellowship, that God might be given the honour and the glory um, as his church grows. We know that God is a builder. He uses the church, he uses uh, families, he uses people, he uses family, he uses the church and... Uh, if people, if there are enough people that walk in obedience, you can use a nation, even the nation of Israel, who have been walking in, in disobedience. God can use even nations of people to build his kingdom. But we need to have that honest evaluation. And as Paul says in verse 3, we should never either underestimate or give our gifts or overestimate our spiritual gifts as we um, 
fit ourselves into the body of Christ. Verse 3, where the Apostle Paul says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Sometimes that within the body of Christ that can be a problem when some people either overestimate their spiritual gifts or underestimate their spiritual gifts and uh, hide their light under a bushel by underestimating their spiritual gifts. When the Bible uses that term of hiding under a bushel, um, I know from my farming background that a bushel is a, a measure of volume. And uh, there is one in that museum in Beechworth, a bushel container. Um, it's very official. It's a, it looks like a brass bucket, hold about 10 litres, and it's machined on the top. It's very level and machined off on the top. And in olden times, when you bought a bushel of grain, they filled it without dumping it down and pushing it down, and then they struck it with a straight edge across the top and took away the surplus. But uh, the Bible talks about hiding your light under a bushel. If you turned that bushel upside down and put your light under there, you wouldn't see very much. You wouldn't be very effective if you hid under the bushel. We need to uh, strengthen the local church and glorify his name by um, not overestimating or underestimating our gifts. In verses 4 to 8, we see there the faithful cooperation that's required, a blending of the gifts given to a body that's fitly framed together and compacted by every, um, every part, that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the ministry of every part. A quote there from Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 4 as well, the Apostle Paul goes into that area. Verse 4 is, we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. With a prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, in verse 7, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And verse 9 sums the whole package up by saying, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Instructions there for making a church operate and function effectively. And many times when uh, each and every one of us are probably aware of the, uh, the contribution that people make here with the various ministries and uh, what a privilege it is uh, to be able to, um, to minister in whatever capacity that might be. Um, I love getting out there and cutting the grass and uh, being on the roster with Tim and uh, doing those manual things that I've, and farmy sort of things that I've been doing all my lifetime. I, I really enjoy that. 
And, uh, but there are so many others that make a contribution to the life and the work of the church here and we should uphold them in prayer and be grateful for the contribution that they make in whatever capacity it is. It might be the, some of the simplest and most menial of tasks but we need to uh, give thanks for them and for those with special gifts and talents you know, those with those, those gifts that are listed, uh, for example, in that list, give thanks for them. There shouldn't be any jealousy involved in it. There shouldn't be any glorying or self, um, self-promotion. We need to do it all for the glory of God and for the betterment of the uh, fellowship so that God gets the glory, gets the glory in the effectual working of the body fitly framed together. 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 29 and 30. We might, uh, we've got time to uh, quickly turn there. 1 Corinthians 12 and 29 and 30. It talks about, on the same subject, uh, about spiritual gifts and the use of uh, spiritual gifts. If somebody's got it before I do. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30. Thanks, Russ. Yeah. Are we all those things that are listed there? No, we aren't. We might be one or two of them, perhaps, but we are not all of those things. And uh, But whatever our spiritual gifts might be, we can certainly make a contribution for the building. Having great gifts and no grace is a a red light here, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Having great gifts and no grace. And uh, regrettably, uh, in my lifetime, I've encountered a couple of, well, a few people with great gifts and no grace. And what a shame that is when the very fundamentals of what's required for to live our Christian life, the very fundamental, the starting point has been lost. Probably these people consider that they've moved on from that. Their gifts now have become more and more sophisticated and uh, they've probably got a lot of accolades for the work that they do in some, some areas, but they've lost that grace. Spiritual gifts are for building. They're not for raging a war. They're not for lording it over other people. They're made to be a part of the body of Christ, fitly framed together, because we are, we should, each and every one of us, making a, complementing each other as members of the one body. Verses uh, 9 to 16 in our text, verses 9 to 16, we'll move through that. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is um, evil, cleave to that which is good. That love be without dissimulation. It's not some sort of a competition. Love should conquer all of those stresses and um, 
differences that can emerge in a, in a fellowship. And um, the Apostle Paul talks about that this in 1 Corinthians 13. We probably won't have time to go there, but let love be without dissimulation. Be kindly affectioned in verse 10, one to another, with brotherly love in honour, preferring one another. Look at these wonderful truths that are there. One of wonderful qualities that are building. God is a builder. He builds churches and he builds families. Not slothful in, in business. Here we, we see here reference to the world outside our door. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints and given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Wonderful section of scripture here. Challenging for each and every one of us. But that's the sort of people God will bless. People with those qualities. God is ready and very willing to hand out a blessing to all of those people who walk in obedience to him, who walk in love and obedience. Through our text in verses 17 to 21, our relationship with our enemies, we move on now to a different subject, our relationship not within the brethren within the church but now within our enemies. The truth of God's word sometimes makes a few enemies. Our Lord and Saviour had a lot of enemies. The Apostle Paul had plenty as well. He was aware of that when he was writing all of his epistles, that there were enemies almost everywhere. Christians today are under attack. Now we're under attack from people who, probably a generation ago, were happy to be agnostics and let all those churchy people do their thing happy to do that quite ambivalent about church people these are the same people now that are our enemies and are quite vociferous in their criticism of the church when the church takes a stand on social and moral issues all these people were once agnostics and now tenure to come out of the woodwork and uh, one of the examples is the uh, controversy over same-sex marriage uh, the recent controversy over that and uh, praise God the people the church spokespeople who they dragged up and put in front of the television cameras didn't respond um, with anger or name-calling in spite of the fact that they were called homophobes and uh, haters everything else, a lot of other names as well. But praise God they didn't, didn't reciprocate by name-calling and doing those sort of things. And the Apostle Paul takes up this theme back in verse 17 of our text. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, 
saith the Lord. I will repay, saith the Lord. Okay, we should be careful and measured in our defence when we come under attack. We should allow God to measure his righteous judgement. Allow God to measure his righteous judgement. Remember that these people will one day be judged for their actions. The uh, Royal Commission is one of, one of the examples here. The people involved in that Royal Commission into child sexual abuse will one day be asked to give an answer for what they have done. I've made a note here, see Proverbs and uh, Proverbs 25 and uh, we might just flick back to there if I can find it in a hurry. This Bible is not quite as good as my old Bible with the dog ears. Proverbs 25 and verses 21 and 22. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Okay. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Okay. Allow God to uh, deal with the enemies of God. Chapter 13 in, uh, in our text now deals with our relationship with the state. We've had a very brief look at our relationship with our brethren within the fellowship and within, God, and within Christ's body. Now briefly our relationship with the state. The note here that I've made uh, that uh, God uses three institutions for his purposes. The home, the government and the church. And we need to perhaps bear that in mind, just in our background, in our thoughts as we have a look through this passage very, very briefly. In Paul's day, there was rebellion against Rome. You know, as we know, the Jews were in slavery to the Roman Empire and there's rebellion everywhere. And the nation of Israel expected our Lord and Saviour to overthrow the, the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And uh, obviously they didn't quite get the message. Today we have governments which place into law that which is against God's word. And that's pretty plain. If you follow the news in any way, shape or form, we know that from time to time governments pass laws that are not in accordance with God's word. God's established governments, we need to realise that God established them and uh, a few passages of scripture that will, that will help us to understand that God has a hand. God is sovereign in all of these things. It's by the will of God that governments are established. Just going back briefly, God uses the home, he uses governments and he uses the church to build and to establish his kingdom. In Acts chapter 17 and verses 24 through to 28, God that has made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. 
neither is worship with man's hand, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the, all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before the appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Talking there about God's complete sovereignty in all issues, all issues to deal with mankind. God established the governments. He's responsible for the sins of those who rule unjustly. There's been plenty of people in the world that have ruled unjustly. Um, fortunately, in our democracy here in Australia, we haven't had anybody that you could call a tyrant. Unfortunately, in other parts of the world, there's been tyrannical governments who have just slaughtered millions and millions of people for all kinds of reasons. And one day they will have to give an answer. But God will judge them accordingly. Some passages of scripture here that will help us. If you like to turn to the book of Daniel, some readings here that will help us. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17 is our starting point. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17. Familiar passage of scripture to us. Daniel now in captivity at the hands of the Chaldeans. And as I mentioned on Sunday, a bit of ethnic cleansing going on here. But was God aware of what was going on? Absolutely, just the same as God is aware of what's going on here in this country and all around the world, God is sovereign. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, This matter is by decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Makes you wonder why God would do that if God is ruling, but he's, God is sovereign and sometimes he setteth up over kingdoms even the basest of men. And verse 18, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belshazzar, declare the interruption thereof, interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. And uh, there is an, another passage in uh, Daniel as well, just verse 25, just going down the page a little way, through to uh, verse 27. Verse 25, this is the, we'll go back to verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon, upon my lord the king that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known 
that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be lengthening of thy tranquillity. God is in control. God is always in control of all these issues and we should recognise that we should walk in obedience, allow God to make these judgments. God will inevitably make the judgment on the all of human activity, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Let God, uh, let God be the judge of those things. To resist the law is to resist God. We each and every one of us live under some authority. It doesn't matter who we are, we are under some authority. Even if we're uh, Scott Morrison, we're under some authority. Um, the people in authority will have their say in about a month's time four or five weeks' time, the people in authority, and that's you and I and many other people who have the opportunity to, uh, to vote. To resist the law is to resist God. Remember, God has placed these people in positions of authority. He rules and reigns in the kingdom of men. To resist the law is to resist God. It doesn't mean that we should break the law by not voting. Uh, I've heard plenty of people say, well, I wouldn't vote for any of them. They're all hopeless. But that's not the right attitude that we should have. The law says that we should cast our ballots. God knows how our system works and he expects Christians not to be rebellious, not to be out on the streets each and every day proclaiming all, all kinds of political issues. But we should live quietly and obediently under, under the authority of God. To resist the law is to resist God. We all live under it. We all have someone in a position of authority over us. Respecting the authority, even if we cannot respect the person in authority. And um, that, that can happen. Um, when I was in the fire brigade, we had an encounter with the commissioner. The commissioner is the guy who is in the rural fire service right up at the top. And uh, at a local level, something was done that ought not to have been done. And uh, when we pointed this out, they sent the commissioner down to sort us out. And uh, the result of that meeting was that uh, the wrong was put right. But in the process, it was very difficult, very difficult for each and every one of us to have that respect for that person, even though he was the commissioner. We should have respect for the office, but not necessarily respect for the person if they, if they um, do not do their job properly, or if they try to walk over the top of other people or break rules or if they're godless um, and they try to rule and um, do things 
in accordance with their own measure, in accordance with their own standards. In our text in Romans 13, going back there with regard to our relationship to the state, it's required of us that we walk in obedience and not be rebellious. We see so many rebellious people. Fortunately, a lot of them are not in Australia. We see other countries that are in all sorts of trouble because of rebellious people. Sometimes there are bad governments. And, but anarchy and chaos is the result. And God doesn't want that. God wants peace and order. We should obey God in all those issues of conscience. Acts 5 and verse 29 talks about obeying God rather than man. In our text in Romans 13, 7, it talks here about obeying the government by paying our taxes. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. It's, it's a good recipe for Christian living. Okay, pay what we owe, even though we mightn't agree. And um, in verses 8 to 10, we see there that we should, should do it for love's sake. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, for thou shalt not steal, not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Even if there be any other commandments, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And it takes us back, doesn't it, almost to, the, to where we began, where we need to avoid overestimating our importance and our spiritual gifts to live humbly in obedience and service to God making a contribution to Christ's body to join in with the building the edification of Christ's body here in this place and abroad it's a tremendous challenge for each and every one of us who will walk in obedience and to make those contributions that will make such a tremendous difference to our Christian life. What a privilege it is to be called God's people and to be numbered among the Christians. Christians, well, what a privilege that is to be called Christ's children and to one day have that wonderful assurance that all of his promises will be fulfilled, and that one day we will see him face to face. And hopefully we will hear his words saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Wonderful fulfilment to a Christian life, to Christian living. Thanks be to God, and to God goes the honour and the glory. And I pray that uh, each and every one of us will be ever ready in exhortation to encourage each and to, to encourage one another. There's plenty of opposition as we walk outside the door tonight and go to work tomorrow. Some of us will be going to work; it won't be me. But, uh, 
But we will go outside into the world tomorrow to be an, try to be an effective witness and testimony for the faith that we have and put to use the spiritual gifts that we've been given. And what a blessing that will be. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of being called your people. We pray, Lord, that we'll walk circumspectly as your word says, that we will indeed be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves in our attitude. Help us, Lord, to exhort one another and build each other up so that our strength is increased when we go into the world to face the challenges that are out there. Help us to walk in obedience, recognising, Lord, that there are people in authority over us. But most of all, Lord, um, being so grateful that you are the final authority and that every promise will be kept in your time. And we'll give you thanks and praise. Now save this precious and holy name. Amen.